I thought I'd uh, change the picture just at this point to focus on some young women who perhaps would remind us a little of just what Mary might have been like. And the first on the left uh, may well be familiar to you, Malala Yousafzai, who actually was uh, she's from Pakistan, but she was unknown to the world when at the age of about 12, she began writing a blog uh, about life as a girl child growing up in the Swat Valley of Pakistan and her longing for education for all children, um, especially for girls. And then, of course, she became known to us in the West when, as a 15-year-old, she was shot in the head uh, by a gunman while on her school bus and yet uh, survived and underwent extensive uh, medical rehab in England, uh, where she's now based now. She's 23 and uh, just graduated this year from Oxford University and uh, is working with a foundation established uh, in her name, continuing to advocate for the right for education for all and especially for girls. And uh, you may well recall back in 2014, at the age of 17, she was the youngest recipient ever of the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, another nominee, uh, twice now she's been nominated, hasn't got one yet, but uh, uh, nominee for the Nobel Peace Prize in recent times has been the Swedish climate change activist Greta Thunberg. Uh, still, she's still just only 17 years. And she belies that uh, solemn schoolgirl with Platt's uh, demeanor to courageously speak truth to power about the climate emergency the world is facing. And I've been thinking about girls the age of these as we hear again today that astounding story of the angel Gabriel's visit to Mary, who was probably a teenager about their age or even younger, uh, maybe as young as 13 or 14. Just what was it really like for Mary? What were her feelings and emotions and reactions to this news that she, a virgin, was to have a child. And I think it's a reminder to us, isn't it, that amidst all the tinsel and the Christmas trees, Christmas is very real, a real pregnancy, a real young mother, a real birth, a real baby. And about those real raw feelings too of anxiety and fear, of courage and hope. And it's okay for us to have that whole mixture of feelings at this time of year also, uh, and very much in our world at this time. We think that Luke had access to Mary's story when writing his gospel, but uh, I get the impression that actually the, the grim realities of Mary's pregnancy have been somewhat sort of smoothed out in the uh, Luke story in Luke 1 and 2. Uh, even though you would think that Luke, as a physician, would be well aware of what an unplanned pregnancy meant in his times. Uh, in Luke's account, we hear none of the anxiety we get in Matthew's version of the story, uh, very much uh, making clear that Mary is with child out of wedlock, and this is a problem to be dealt with. Uh, Mary is betrothed to Joseph, which in, in uh, that time was a binding commitment and only dissolvable by a, a formal divorce. So to be found to be pregnant while betrothed was indeed grounds for divorce or even death by stoning. Uh, such was the shame in an honour-shame culture that were uh, brought to both families involved. 
And so in Matthew's account, Joseph bends over backwards to dismiss Mary quietly. And we think that's a bit strange that he still wants to get rid of her. But in fact, he's doing a better thing than to divorce her publicly, which would expose her to public disgrace and probably stoning. But I mean, either way, the reality would have been that Mary would have been considered spoiled goods. And her life story would have been set from that point of being outcast and living in poverty, uh, as would, would it have been for her child. Joseph uh, came to the rescue there. But here, we don't hear that part of the story in Luke's gospel. And with what Mary hears, all the more astounding than I think is Mary's response to that shocking announcement. And we hear from her, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your words. Mary's response is couched in the words that those called by God use throughout the scriptures. Here am I, think of Isaiah, here I am, Lord, when we sing the song. It's a bit of a formula, a code phrase, if you like, that those in the know would recognize. Ah, here's another person, here's God's call, they are turning up for duty and giving the right response. But I almost feel it's a bit like it's almost too good to be true. It almost sounds like to me the response of someone who is still just absolutely gobsmacked and shell-shocked. Uh, not quite speechless, as was Zechariah, who was struck dumb at the news of the birth of John the Baptist uh, earlier on in that same chapter of Luke. But she's still just reeling, I think, at the enormity of the angel's words and of the names to be given to this child she will bear. Great, the son of the most high, holy, son of God, son of David. It's extraordinary. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. That word doulos, servant, could also be translated slave. Uh, Mary's first response almost feels like uh, she's been selected by God for this job and as a woman of her time, she has no um, place for a response. There's no room for her own consent or lack of it. And I think we struggle in our day with that um, acquiescence, if you like. And perhaps think of the teenagers you know. What would a teenager today, what would uh, these teenagers say to the angel? What about my rights, my needs, my desires, my wants? Don't you realize what you're asking of me and what you're saying uh, to me and about my future? What about me? I doubt many of today's teenagers would be quite so quick with such a selfless response. And yet, and yet there follows from Mary some sort of consent, some sort of yes to God, which I think even though she couldn't possibly fully grasp or understand what is being asked of her, yet she's willing to say yes to God's word and God's promises. Let it be with me according to your words. I wonder what did Mary know of God's promises and God's faithfulness? We don't actually know from Luke's version very much at all about Mary's background or character or virtues. A lot of this has been built up through church tradition but we actually don't get any sense that Mary's any more virtuous or less than any other young woman of her village. And indeed, in uh, Jewish midrash and interpretations, 
there are some quite lovely stories about the angel going to other women before Mary. But uh, so there is Mary. Yes, she's called favored one by the angel. Yes, she's told that she's found favor with God. But in both cases, the words used come from the Greek word charis, which means grace. Mary is graced, if you like. God's choice of Mary is an act of grace. And Mary receives God's grace, just as do we all. Well, that was going to mean a lot more than Mary first knew. And so perhaps it's not too surprising that the response we get first off is still fairly one-dimensional. And yet we know, as our familiar story proceeds, that we will see Mary growing in understanding and faith, burying things in her heart, pondering them, the story, a dawning reality, I think, of just what the angel's news will mean for her, both tremendous joy, but also tremendous challenge and suffering. But all this over time, first of all, there's going to be that lovely a uh, little human interlude of Mary's journey to visit her aged but also pregnant relative Elizabeth uh, in the hill country of Judea. Uh, in Christian tradition, identified with the lovely little village of Ein Karem uh, near Jerusalem, which I've visited a couple of times. Very beautiful little place uh, with its churches and there's a spring uh, where tradition has it that Mary uh, drew water. And uh, in the churchyard there, there's a lovely uh, statue of Mary and Elizabeth and they're, they're face to face to each other with their tummies sort of bouncing off each other as they rejoice with one another and uh, on the walls of that churchyard the Magnificat is there in language after language after language including in Tarot I was really pleased to see last time I was there um, so just as Luke's gospel proclaims the gospel is for all nations and Mary's good news is for all nations uh, as we've just sung and we'll sing later on to tell out my soul, those words of the Magnificat roll off the tongue somewhat and they lose their prophetic force. Those um, amazing words we think sourced from Hannah's song uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, but there's nothing formulaic about them. Uh, this is a song such as these young women could have sung. It's a song of revolution, of challenge. Uh, of God putting down the mighty from their thrones and lifting up the lowly. And as we look on our world, uh, there's not a few uh, who we would long to see taken down and the lowly lifted up, uh, those who are oppressed. And so just as these young women do, Mary was there and willing to say that yes, uh, regardless of the personal cost or the danger. God has always worked with ordinary people, little people, if you like, uh, the poor ones, but in God, they have such huge potential to change lives and to change the world. And I hope as we come to the end of a, a shaky year and look forward with a, perhaps a little bit of anxiety into the next one, we'll hold on to, I think, two things which come through our readings today. We have a God of new beginnings a God of surprises, a God for whom nothing is impossible, as the angel said, a God who pictures his tent. Mary is often called the new ark of the covenant, the place where God chooses to pitch God's tent and tabernacle. But then also God is the God of covenant faithfulness. As we heard in our first reading, uh, King David is not going to build a house, 
that uh, falls to Solomon, but the greater house will be the dynasty uh, in the line of King David, and Jesus will be son of David and son of God. So we hold together God's ever newness on the one hand and God's faithfulness to God's covenant and to God's people on the other. And we hold that together, I pray, for our own lives. Uh, yes, we look forward to God's new beginnings next year in faith and in courage, but we hold also to that anchor of God's faithfulness to us and God's reliability and God's trustworthiness as we go into a new year. I love, as many of you do, that verse from Philippians uh, where Paul says, I am confident of this. The one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. May it be so for us, individually and as God's people. Amen.